Go ahead, grab your seat, grab a Bible. And as you grab your seat and grab a Bible, also I'm going to invite you to go ahead and pull out your Mark journal. If you don't have a Mark journal, quickly raise your hand and one of our ushers will quickly give you a copy of our Mark journal. Just raise it up high and uh, we want to make sure everyone has one to work through this morning. We are going through a series through the Gospel of Mark which is one of the four accounts of the life of Jesus Christ from the vantage point of a man named Mark who was most likely writing down the stories, the events as told to him by one of Jesus' closest followers, the man named Peter. And Mark has been walking us through what it means to follow Jesus, to know Jesus, to love Jesus because he is showing us who Jesus is and how much Jesus loves us. And so our series has been very simply titled, Mark following the path of Jesus. Because as we've said for so many weeks here, are you ready? A disciple or a follower of Jesus is simply someone who goes where Jesus goes and does what Jesus does. That's it. To be a follower means you go where Jesus goes and you do what Jesus does. And so we've been looking at life with Jesus. And today we're looking at another event, actually two that happened on the Sabbath, the special weekly day where the Jewish people would remember their God in a significant way. And it's actually as some of his followers are following Jesus that we find conflict and we learn something about who we are and who God desires for us to be. So if you have your Bibles, let's look together in Mark, that's in the New Testament, Mark chapter 2. We will begin in verse 23 and read through chapter 3 and verse 6. So Mark 2, 23 through 3, verse 6, it says this. One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain field, and as his disciples walked along, they began to pick some heads of grain. Now, notice this word, the Pharisees. By the way, in church, growing up, if you were like me and you grew up in a great church with great people who taught great things, you may have had one of these things called a flannel board. How many of you remember the flannel board? Can I see some? Oh, man, we're going to have some old school church this morning, okay? You remember the flannel board and what they would do is, I remember in class, we'd put Jesus up there and Jesus always looked like he'd just come out of the hair salon because he had a perm in all of the flannel board pictures. And then you put Jesus' followers behind him. And they always look like these scruffy guys who just got off the boat because they look like they really did just get off the boat. And then whenever there were the Pharisees on the flannel board, we were taught as kids to go, boo. All right, so here we go. Then the Pharisees said to him. Come on, it's fun, isn't it? Look, why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? Next slide says this. He answered, have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need? By the way, the Pharisees were the creme de la creme, the educated, the theologians, the Bible school teachers who went on to seminary, who went on to teach. They are the smarty pants of the religious world. For Jesus to say, well, have you never read? Zing. Of course they've read. But he's making a point. Have you never read? In the days of Abiathar, the high priest, David entered the house of God and ate the consecrated bread, which is lawful only for priests to eat. And David also gave some of the bread to his companions. Next slide. 
Then he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. And let's read this last sentence all together real loud. Here we go. You ready? So the son of man is Lord, even of the Sabbath. All right. Now that's the first story. We're going to speed ahead now, and Mark is going to share with us another event that happens on the Sabbath day. First, it's picking grain in the field, just little parts as they walk along. Now, Jesus is in a synagogue on the Sabbath. So this is chapter 3 and verse 1. Another time, Jesus went into the synagogue, which was simply the Jewish... place of meeting. It's a school, a church, a bunch of things rolled into one. You'd gather there for civic meetings. It was a common place for the Jewish people. And on Sabbath, Shabbat, on Saturday, that's when they had Sabbath, they would gather for worship. So another time he went into the synagogue and a man with a shriveled hand was there. By the way, a man with a shriveled hand was not considered blessed but cursed by God. Physical malady meant that, of course, you must have done something somewhere that you had not simply done enough to be right with God. But there's a man with a shriveled hand at church. Some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, so they watched him closely to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath. Jesus said to the man with a shriveled hand, stand up in front of everyone. Don't you just love it when Jesus is about to use you as a show and tell method? Stand up. In front of everyone. Then Jesus asked all the people there, which is lawful on the Sabbath? To do good or to do evil? To save life or to kill? But they remained silent. He looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn heart, said to them, stretch out your hand. You can almost see this. Notice he says to them, but the man is the one doing it. He says, He says, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out, and his hand was completely restored. And then the whole church said, yay, God, God is good, God is great. And they all just celebrated, right? No. Then the Pharisees went out, well, you guys are so good, went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. So we have a few words here I want you to pay attention to. We have the word Sabbath. We have the word Pharisee. We have the word Herodians. And all of these play into the story. Now, this event, these two events seem on the surface to be about Sabbath and keeping the Sabbath laws or breaking the Sabbath laws. So first question is, what is the Sabbath? Now, to do this, let's take a step way back in time. So grab your Bibles, and let's go all the way back to the very beginning, to Genesis chapter 1. That is the first place that we learn of this day of rest, Sabbath. Genesis chapter 1, and there's a couple places here I want us to see. Verse, chapter 1, verse 31 says this. God saw all that he had made. Remember, this is sort of the first day, second day, third day, fourth, fifth, sixth. And on those different days, God is making plants and sky and tree and separating the earth and the water and all these things until finally he goes, wow, it is good. It is good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. Now jump down to verse 2 of chapter 2. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. And God blessed the seventh day and made it 
holy. The word holy simply means to set it apart. It is a distinguished moment in time of pause, of reflection, of restoration, of healing, of... (sighs) Because on it, he rested from all his work of creating that he had done. So the first moment that we see of Sabbath of rest, of working, then resting is God himself setting the standard that after you work hard for six days, and family, I hope if you are of working age, you are working hard. You may not be getting a paycheck for it, mamas, but you're working. Or if you're in the workforce, that you're working hard, but then you do what God did and you pause, you breathe, you rest, you remember that you are not God, he is God and he is on the throne and you do not have to work seven days a week to keep the world together for God himself is over it and he's got it. This is the first picture. Now do you notice there are no commands here about keeping the Sabbath? This is just assumed. This is the way it works. In fact, in the garden, everything is perfect. Sabbath was not commanded because they were in the rhythm of living with God, meaning that they worked hard, they rested and played hard. Worked hard, rested and played hard. But then centuries pass, many, many, many centuries, and the people of Israel find themselves enslaved in Egypt. This is Exodus now, chapter 20. They've been enslaved, and they are having to work to live, literally, The Egyptians working the Israelites to the bone. If you do not work, you will die. They will kill you. And so God comes, liberates the Israelite people, and when he brings them out into the wilderness, as one theologian put it, God had set them free, but now he needs to teach them how to live free. How many of us here this morning have been set free? We still just need to learn how to live free. And he now teaches them with some rules, the Ten Commandments. So notice, the fourth commandment is this. It's relating to rest, because these are people who have had to work so they are not killed. And he is now going to say that is not healthy, nor is it holy. I want to show you what life looks like with me. Work hard, but then rest hard. So the fourth commandment, this is Exodus chapter 20, says this. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy, set apart. Six days shall you labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. Next slide. On it you shall not do, say these two words with me, any work. Neither you nor your son or daughter, your manservant or maidservant, nor your animal, nor the alien within your gate. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the seas, and all that is in them. But he rested on the seventh day. Now, a couple things real quick here before any legalists jump. This is Old Testament. We have now been liberated from the requirements of the law. So this is wisdom, but it is not requirement. It is wise to rest. Amen? Some of you don't believe it. Amen? Our bodies, there are things that we need. So, for instance, there's many things in Scripture that are wisdom but not requirement. For instance, it is wise, not the Bible, but we are told by much smarter people than me that our bodies need about eight hours of sleep a night. Now, there's no command in Scripture to get eight hours of sleep a night. But it is foolish to get only four or five every night for a long period of time. This is, goes into the realm of wisdom, not requirement. So... Today, we're not going to say, go home, have Sabbath. 
but there is wisdom to it. Now, here is what ends up happening. People say, wow, that's a really good rule, but I bet we could improve on God's rule. You wouldn't know anyone who's ever improved on God's rule, would you? Have we ever been around people or maybe you are like me and you get up in the morning and you look in the mirror and you see the person who always tries to improve on God's rule? Well, he says, don't do this, but I won't do this. And if I'm not going to do this, then I'm going to tell everyone else they can't do it either. We could give examples, but I won't because it may be something you say you can't do. That's fine. But this is where the conflict happens. We think the story is about Sabbath. It is actually about something much deeper. This is a story of religion versus the gospel. If you're taking notes, here's what I would invite you to do. On the page, put the word religion on one side, gospel on the other, and you may want to draw a little line, not all the way down because I'm going to give you some more stuff at the bottom, but we're going to do a little compare and contrast because this is ultimately... Did anyone bring the ark today by chance? I got dibs on top deck if we did. But we're going to do a little compare and contrast, okay? Because this is not a story about the Sabbath. This is a story about religion and the gospel. Religion, if you want to write this down, and I get this from a man named Dr. Tim Keller, brilliant theologian, he makes this point that gospel, excuse me, religion is fundamentally about advice. How you ought to live. It doesn't matter the world religion. They are all about advice. So in some world religions, uh, they will say that you need to work your conscious mind. You need to work through these exercises so that you can work your way to being one, whether it's with the universe or with God or the force. But you do this thing to become who you are supposed to be. Other world religions, it's not about what you think. It's about identification. So you become part of a religious group. You identify with a particular group of people and that's what makes you Holy religion is about what you do. And then others, it's not about who you identify with or what you think. It is just about your moral conduct. Do this, don't do that. Do this, don't do that. Do this, don't do that. And this is where the Pharisees found themselves. Do this, don't do that. They had gotten entrenched in religion. And I want to give you kind of a a mental picture for how this works. Um, I need some help this morning. So I'm just going to call out. Hey, Chris, how are you doing, buddy? Hey, come on up here. Would you help me, please? Everybody, would you say hi to Chris? Say, you're going to do a great job, Chris. Come on up here, buddy. (laughs) No, I didn't text you this one because you might have said I won't be there today. Okay, Chris, you stand here. Now, Chris is going to stand here. So, Chris here is going to be my helper. I need one more helper, though. I need a first or second grader. A first or second grader. Who's in first or second grade able to help me? Aniston, come on up here, sweetheart. Would you come on up here? Everybody, would you say hi to my friend Aniston? Come on up here. I'm just going to have you sit for a few minutes. It's going to take a minute or two. Can you just kind of sit here, look pretty for everybody? Okay, thanks. I appreciate it. I want to give you a picture of religion. 
Because on the surface, religion looks and sounds so good. Before we get there, um, is anyone else a little bit tired of all the bad weather that we've been having here? Anyone else? You just kind of, oh man, really? Just another day of rain? And then, but don't worry, it's not just going to be rainy, it's also going to be kind of cold. Anyone else just tired of all that? Well, here's what I want to do. I just kind of want to give you a picture of what, what, where I wish I were right now. It's here. Anyone else just wish they were on that beach? Maybe with a cool drink in their hand? I didn't say it was Big umbrella over your head. Maybe with a family member or friend. Go ahead and pull that down just a little bit, the volume there. But th- this is the picture. And so, Chris, here's the deal. Since this is where I wish I were, there's one thing you've got to have if you're going to um, go to the beach. You need a beach ball, right? Now, when you have a beach ball, it's kind of fun. You can like to play with it. By the way, don't do it. But what do you really want to do with that beach ball right now? Exactly. In fact, some people are saying, hey, we should like do a little. We're not doing that today in church, but okay. But this is the picture of God's gift of Sabbath. It's a moment to pause, to breathe. To say the world does not depend on me. It'll keep spinning whether or not I'm running at 100 miles an hour. And so God gives us this moment to pause. And like Sabbath, God gives us fun things to do. By the way, when you hear of Sabbath, rest, do not think of doing nothing. It is a day of refreshment, of reinvigoration, of just grabbing life, doing those things that stir up in you love for God and love for others. Who in here likes to eat? Can I see some Christians this morning? How many of you enjoy maybe hanging out with family and friends? Or, or, or how many of you like going on trips? Or maybe you're like me. You're a bit of an introvert. I like people, but man, I need my time so that way I can recharge. How many of you, a good day is a good book by yourself? Oh, praise God. Absolutely. So this is the picture of Sabbath as intended by God. But then people began to say, what does it mean to not do any work. Like, it says don't do anything. So what does that mean exactly? What can we do? What must we do? What must we not do? And so, because God does not articulate all the ways in which we ought to limit ourselves or think about that day, the religious leaders through the centuries from Exodus on began to say, you know what we need? We need some clarifiers. We need some more rules so that way we don't disobey God, break his law, or do something that gets us in trouble, and they begin to move away from gift to grunt work, from blessing to burden. And they begin to say, well, you know, we just need another law, maybe. Would you hold on to that for me? Thank you so much. I appreciate that. And someone goes, you know, that's a great law. So they begin to come up with different laws of what it means. So this law is, you shall not reap in your fields. Don't go out there and harvest. That's work. But then someone says, no, wait a minute. That seems, there's a lot of other stuff that might be work as well. So someone else says, I I know what. I think we don't want people to do too much walking when they're out. Thank you. And so we're only going to allow you to walk. This was one of the additional rules. 1,999 steps on the Sabbath. By the way, how much mental energy must be taken simply to keep count of how many steps you have gone? All of a sudden, it's not quite so restful, is it? 
And then someone else says, but you know what? There's other ways that we might break the law, so I know it. We need more rules. Do I have some more rules? Could, could you bring me some more rules, guys? I appreciate it. Just as many as you want to bring me would be great here. Um, yeah, we, just, we, we need more rules. By the way, how many of you saw a miracle on 34th Street where they bring Santa Claus all the mail? Yes, sir. So, so now we say, we don't, you could just put it right there. This may take a minute. And then they say, we don't simply want to watch our steps. We need to watch our physical activity. So it's not that you cannot simply go out and do a full day's work. You can't even pluck the heads off grain. That's what Jesus' followers were doing. That was not in the old law. It was one they made up. And so they say, here's another law. There you go, buddy. You got plenty of space, don't you? We got just a few more here. And then someone says, you know what? We don't want to do any more mental work than necessary, so you can't even write a lot. If you need to write down something on the Sabbath, you may only write one letter on the Sabbath. And so someone says, here you go. There's a... That's going... Oh, well. Uh-oh. There. Oh. Oh. And then someone else says, no, we don't just do that. Hey, if you tie a knot on the Sabbath, already dropping them. If you come and you tie a knot on the Sabbath and you can't get your sandal off, too bad, so sad, your dad, because untying a knot on Sabbath would be work. So now we're going to just keep kind of piling up the work here. And then someone else says, well, you know what? It's not only those things, but now there's certain things you can only say and only things you can do. And so we just start piling up, piling up. Let's see. You got it. You got, hey, you got plenty more arms. By the way, isn't Sabbath relaxing? Oh, man, I just, I love my Sabbath. I love, oh, now, Chris, hang on there, man. Uh-oh, uh-oh. Oh, 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 oh. I'll even help you in your legalism. There we go. No, no, oh, oh, oh. Now, here's the thing. Here's the thing. This is a picture of religion. That you are connected to God, saved simply by what you do. And the problem is you will always find a reason for one more rule because you will encounter an event, a moment, and there is no rule for that moment, so you've got to come up with one. Am I in or am I out? If I don't do this, am I lost? If I do do this, am I saved? How many of us... And I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but how many of us grew up being taught that there were certain things you must do, and if you did not do them all to the T, you were falling from grace? I remember being told by people older than me when I was younger, my father used to explain that he said, Josh, I was so terrified growing up that at any moment I would slip off the tightrope and I would fall because I could not do all the right things at all the right times in all the right ways. And it went from blessing to burden. And so then Jesus is dealing with these people who want to do what is right. They've just placed their hope not in the goodness of God, but in their own work. In religion. And so then you come to the second event in the synagogue. And what happens there? Jesus shows up. There's a man with a withered hand. And on the day of rest, the day of peace, the day when all is to be restored and fixed, the people are waiting to see if Jesus will break one of their silly laws and leave a man broken in the process. 
And Jesus looks around and he sees their hard hearts where they say, it's all about the rules. If I can just do enough, I am good enough for God. And everyone else, well, you know what, mean, what that means for them. And it says in anger. It was just a flash of like, really? You're missing the moment. He says to the man, stand up, stretch out your hand. And the man was healed. Here's what's so interesting to me about this. Jesus asks a question. Which one is lawful to do on the Sabbath? To heal or to harm? To do good or do bad? To give life or to kill? You say, well, Jesus, no one's dying here. Oh, yes, someone will. Did you notice the last verse? Immediately, those leaders, those Pharisees. By the way, the word Pharisee means separated ones. Those separated ones immediately went out and plotted with the Herodians how they may kill Jesus. The Herodians were the Jewish men and women who did not adhere to the law. They were all for the culture and Rome and the fun stuff. Isn't it interesting that those who were diametrically opposed are ultimately opposed to Jesus? Because it's salvation by my works or salvation by my fun stuff or what I achieve or connection with culture. So, are you ready to drop the balls? You want to hold for just another moment? Okay, thank you so much. So let me give you a picture here real fast. Some of us are going, okay, what does this look like? I don't want to live this way. How many of us do not want to live in the burden of religion? Anyone not want to be burdened by? Everyone else wants to. Is that right? No. Okay. So here, I just want to give you real quick, here's, a, here's sort of a test that you might have a little Pharisee in you if, number one, oops, you like rules. By the way, anyone in here, I'm one of these, I like rules. Anyone else in here, you know, like me, you like the rules? I, okay, you're my people. You might have a little Pharisee in you if you think of yourself as the guardian of right and wrong. That it's up to me to show what is right, what is wrong, to call balls and strikes on everyone else. You may have a little Pharisee in you if you are quick to criticize but slow to compliment. So maybe like so many of us, and I did this growing up, I'd sort of rank the Sunday service. It was all about the performance on stage and I was the critic like, you know, 8.5, 8.5, oh, so sad. You're quick to criticize but slow to compliment. What about this one? You might have a little Pharisee in you if you focus on the bad in everything but miss the good and the beautiful. You're the one who always just wants to be the realist in the room. There's another word for realist. Debbie Downer. You focus on the bad and everything and miss so much of the good and the beautiful. You might be a Pharisee if you wish people were just more like you. You know what the world needs is more of me. If people were just as committed as I am to going to church, if people were just as committed to reading their Bible as I am, my gracious, Jesus, aren't you glad that I'm on your team? If everyone else were just like me, you might have a little Pharisee in you. Let me give you one last one. You might have a little Pharisee in you if you hold yourself to a higher standard than Jesus. Now, I know, Jesus, you say to do it this way, but I think we ought to do it this way. You say, Josh, what do we do if this is not the way? I want to show you the other way in our last few moments together this morning. This is the picture of religion, and it kills 
It destroys relationships. But here's the beautiful thing. The gospel is something entirely different. The gospel is not good advice saying what you should do. The gospel is good news saying this is what has been done for you. The gospel does not say do more. It says God has done it all. Can I get an amen from anyone? The gospel says this is what God has done to get you. This is what you do to get to God. But God has come. He has done the work. He has paid the price. He has borne every sin so that you do not have to face your failures, your inabilities. See, here's the thing. Chris is a big guy. He's got big arms. The reality is he is capable of holding more than some of us. Aniston, my buddy here, she is smaller. If I were to give her two or three, they'd start to fall. See, the reality is we often measure our success not based on the perfect God, but how we're comparing to others. And we say, well, you know, I'm a spiritual giant. I can carry more. But even the giant will drop it eventually. But I want to show you the picture now of the gospel. Can I do that? I want to show you the picture of the gospel. Aniston, can you just hold this for me? Just don't let go, okay? Here, hold it right there, okay, girl? Just real, just real tight, real tight. There you go. This is the gospel. I gotta hold everything. I've gotta make sure it balances. I better not drop one. If I drop one, it all comes crashing down. I've failed. I'm out. I'm not good enough. Guess what, family? You are never good enough. Praise be to God. He sent the perfect one for us. That is the good news. The gospel does not say that you have to strive and you have to juggle and you have to work. It simply is this. If you wanna write this final thing down, Let's go back to the final one here. The gospel is this. Drop religion. Cling to Jesus. Do you just want to let go of those now for me? Go ahead. Let go of what you're holding on to. What is your thing that you say, if I just do this, I'm okay with God? What is this thing that you think that if I do this, then I'm better than others? Or maybe you don't say this thing. Maybe you just sort of have this sense that, well, I've never done that. I want to tell you something, church. The gospel is not burdensome. It is a blessing. You do not have to juggle. You simply cling to Jesus. That's the gospel. I can't, but he does. I'm imperfect, but he's perfect. While I was yet a sinner, Jesus Christ died for me. How about you? For God so loved you and you and you and you that he sent his only son for you. I'm convinced of this, Paul says, that there is nothing, nothing, nothing in all of creation that can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Who needs the gospel this morning? I need you to know something. I, don't know, I didn't just need it the day I was saved. They're kind of fun, aren't they? <laughs> I didn't just need the gospel the day I was saved. Church, I need the gospel every moment, every breath, every heartbeat. And there are these moments where I have to remember when I start to pick up religion, it's all about me. It's all about what I do. To go, no, no, no. I just hold on to Jesus. Just hold on to Jesus.
Now in about 60 seconds, we're going to start into a time of prayer. Before we do, I'm going to take this from you, sweetheart. Thank you. Would you guys give my friends a round of applause? Thank you. You can go sit back down. Here's all I want you to think about over the next moment as we prepare our hearts for this time of prayer. You don't have to do anything to earn God's love or grace. There are people in our church this morning, some of you have had abortions, and you think that's the line too far. You need to understand, you did not earn his love, you cannot lose his love. He came for you. Some of you here today, you are here because you have an addiction, whether it's to a substance or to something you look at. And you think, there's just no way. I just, I can't fix this. You need to know it is not about you carrying more. It's about you clinging to Jesus. There's a song we sing, and in it, there's a line that says, you're the lifter of my head. Beautiful thing about helium balloons is everything just goes up. It pulls. It lifts the downtrodden. It lifts those who have failed. There are those in here this morning. You've walked out on a marriage or you're thinking about it or you are one of those you've cheated, you've lied, you've stolen or whatever it may be. Or maybe like me, you are someone who simply thinks you are God because you live in a way that demonstrates you think you have it all figured out. Whatever it is, let go of religion and cling to Jesus today. And so we're going to give every one of us a chance to respond. And let me be frank, every one of us needs to respond today. If you are living and within the sound of my voice, you need the gospel, not just when you were saved, but every day. Amen? And so we're going to have a chance to respond. And so I'm going to ask that we put up on screen some prayer prompts here to get your mind prepared. Some of our prayer leaders are going to go ahead and come to the front. I'm going to ask our prayer leaders to make their way to the front. We're going to dim the lights, prepare the room. And as we go into this time of prayer, what is it that you need to respond to this morning? Maybe today you simply want to say, yay God, I don't have to carry it. I get to simply hold on to Jesus. And maybe you want to celebrate the fact that you received the greatest gift. For others in here, it's not about what you're celebrating. You just need some encouragement. Man, this world has a way of beating us up. And one of the good gifts of our gatherings each week is that we get a shot in the arm and start again. Maybe today you just need to know that God is not, he's not done with you. Maybe you need to know that he is still on the throne and that he loves you. And there are others in here, you are here today, and you do need to repent. There's something that is broken in you, something that's happened, something you've done. Maybe it's something you keep on doing, and you go, I've asked for forgiveness oh, so many times. Do it again. I know that he loves you and that he hears you. Or maybe you're saying, you know, life's okay for me. Today, your response, there are people who desperately need you to go to God on their behalf. Would you do that this morning? Would you come forward and pray for someone else who needs Jesus or to be reminded that he loves them or that he is coming again and when the world seems too much, our Savior is greater still? Would you do that today? Because this is the moment where we get to respond not simply to what we do because that will never heal or save, but we celebrate what Christ has done. Amen, church? Let's stand. 
And let's come to the Father in prayer together. And in whatever way you need to, let's respond.